So, are you guys done? And Deb would answer, I'm tired. Tired. So, not no, but not really yes either. And then after we had Ephraim, people would come up to us and ask, So, are you guys done? Again, not that it was any of their business. <laughs> and Deb would say, yes. <laughs> and for the last couple years, that's been the norm. Then Wednesday night at Ozark, Ozark Christian College's preaching and teaching convention, in the middle of the service, a young mother had to carry her newborn out uh, midway through the service. Tiny little burrito of cuteness, you know. And I tapped Deb's arm because she wasn't looking the right direction and kind of nodded with my head, look over there. She gave me the look. <laughs> you, you, you know the look. It's the look that either means if you were rich, we could have more babies because we could hire full-time help. Or I want grandbabies. I don't know which. I can't tell with her. But it, one, that look means one of the two. <laughs> we love our babies. And every now and then, Deb will go with me on a hospital call. And we'll have the opportunity to do that. And she will, we will together bemoan the loss of the baby shopping window. In hospitals, they used to have a baby shopping window. Some of you are nodding, right? The, the floor where the little ones were, was you could access it publicly. And you could walk by and look at all the babies and go, ooh, I want that one. <laughs> um, they don't do that anymore, you know? It was great. It was like window shopping, except it's way more expensive and the return policy is ridiculous. Um, <laughs> we're going to talk about birth today. Open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Your Bibles, Bible apps, open them to John 3. Thank you so much for being here at Chapel Rock today. If it's your first time with us, uh, I just want to thank you especially. You're most welcome. I'm glad you're here. I'd love to meet you. I'll be down front here for a little while when our service is over, and if you want to make your way down there and, and say hi, that'd be great. Um, if, uh, if you're watching online, thanks for logging in. We wish you were here local with us, uh, but uh, we're grateful that you, you, you did that. Um, thankful for that opportunity to connect with you. Uh, no matter whether you're here in the room or watching online, uh, when we're done today, if you'd fill out your connection card, just if you're here, leave that in the seat. Uh, if you're watching online, you know, hit send or whatever. Um, one thing to let you know about, next Sunday is our first experiment Sunday of the year. All right, so it's in the fellowship hall. The whole service is down there. All right, if you're new, it's that way <laughs> in the building. Don't, don't come in here. You'll, you'll come in and think you, you, know, you showed up on a Saturday or something because the lights will be off. Nobody's in here. The whole service is down there around tables, all right? So go next Sunday morning uh, when you come in, bring a friend. It'll be awesome. Uh, go to the Fellowship Hall for our first uh, experiment Sunday of the year. So the whole service is down there. Where are we going, church, next Sunday? Thank you. Okay, very good. Also, uh, for those of you watching online, we will not be... 
uh, streaming our service uh, next Sunday. This, the logistics don't work for us. However, uh, there will be a pre-recorded version of the sermon. It won't be the same thing, but it'll be a version of the sermon that will play uh, during a uh, broadcast during that time. So if, if you're some of our snowbirds and you're far away, uh, there still will be content uh, next week, but it won't be what we're doing down there, okay? Just so you know that. A couple weeks ago, we started a series in John's Gospel called Mind Blown, where we're looking at the times in John where Jesus just blew people's mind. Our text today comes right on the heels of Jesus cleansing the temple and doing many other signs. In fact, John 2.23 says that Jesus is in the Jerusalem area. Many people are believing in him. And there's one of these local uh, big shots in Jerusalem who wants to press a little closer into who Jesus is and what he's teaching. So he sets up this late night meeting. Now John is going to use a literary structure that we'll see throughout his gospel. Where, where it's, this, um, it's one that his original audience would have been familiar with this structure. And it's called a discourse. What John is going to do is give us kind of a synopsis of... Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus. All right, it's almost certain that their conversation went much longer and later into the night than the four or five minutes it takes us to read this. Right? It, it would have been a more involved conversation than what we see here in the chapter. But John has structured the story in a way that it just kind of summarizes that conversation. There's some late night labor going on here. Now our text today is very, very familiar. In fact, the portion we read publicly earlier, a lot of you, you know, for the first part, it's funny that we had a delay on that final screen because the first few screens are the ones we all know by heart, right? It's very, very familiar territory. And, and, and there's a danger there. The danger is that a, a text like that, John 3, 16 and 17, that's so familiar can run the risk of losing its impact. The stuff that's supposed to blow our minds doesn't. Because we've heard it so many times. What do you do with that? What do you do with what Fred Craddock called the nod of the familiar? Oh yeah, I know that. Well, you just have to keep studying it until you get past the nod of the familiar to the shock of the familiar. Some of you have had this experience. You've been reading a passage you've read before, maybe several times, and all of a sudden, I've never seen, wow! And kind of the light bulb comes on, and, and you just have to keep studying it until that happens. <laughs> Look with me at John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. John chapter 3, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, I think, the, sorry guys, you're going to have to turn. Uh, you might grab the Bible in the seat in front of you. Our computer's just running. Anna, is that the deal? It's just lazy today. The computer's just lazy. Our, mach our robots aren't working for us. Can you believe that? Welcome to the future, right? Uh, so um, grab the Bible in front of you. The screen's not cooperating. Turn to John 3. Um, there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. There we go, finally. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Notice that's not really a question. 
Jesus replied, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. The way he asked the question implied that the right answer is no. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus. And do you not understand these things? Implied answer, yes, you should. Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people, I love it when Jesus talks like that, you people, you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, pause right there, some of you are like, what? He's referencing a story from Numbers 21. The people grumbled against God. They disobeyed him. God sent venomous snakes as punishment for their disobedience. They bit the people and they were suffering from the snake bite. Moses made a bronze snake, held it up on a pole. If by faith they looked at the snake, they were healed. And by the way, if you ever wonder why, where our symbol for modern medicine comes from, it's a snake on a pole. You got to know your Bible history to understand your culture. Right? So that's the reference here. That's what he's talking about. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, Numbers 21, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. That's why repentance is so powerful. Because you drag sin out of the darkness into the light where it can die kicking and screaming to death. So that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Late one night, this guy named Nicodemus has a mind-blowing conversation with Jesus. Here's what Jesus wanted Nicodemus, and he wants you to know. It's our big idea this morning. To possess the life of God, you must be reborn in Him through the Spirit. To possess the life of God, you must be reborn in Him through the Spirit. And John tells us that this birth, this rebirth, has two phases. Here's the first one. Number one, there's a little late-night lamaze going on. Little late night lamas. I know that sounds weird. Let me explain. If you've had kids in the last 40 years, or if you're planning on having them soon, you probably have had, or likely soon will have, uh, prepared childbirth classes. It used to be called lamas after the one who invented it. The idea is that these classes help women, and I guess men too, um, 
prepare to have a baby. They teach you how to labor through the birth of a child. Nicodemus's encounter, in Nicodemus's encounter with Jesus, there's kind of a figurative late-night Lamaze session going on here. Jesus is preparing Nicodemus for his new birth. See, this is not going to be easy. Nicodemus was a man of character and class and distinction. And convincing him that he needs to start over is going to be a bit of a challenge. First of all, the text tells us that Nicodemus is a member of the Pharisees. That was the strictest, most, um, uh, what's the word, diligent in obedience of the law, most theologically conservative uh, group of the Jewish people. Uh, Nicodemus was a good man. Here's the thing, guys. In, In the New Testament, Pharisees often get a bad rap because they very often serve as kind of the foil against what Jesus is teaching. They kind of function sometimes as villains, but they were actually really good people. Like every single one of you in here would love it if your house next door was for sale and a Pharisee moved in. You'd love it because they take good care of their stuff, they follow the law, they, they go by all the rules. Nicodemus was a good man and he knew it and everyone around him knew it. Secondly, the text says he's a member of the Jewish ruling council. It's also called the Sanhedrin. We don't really have um, a parallel in our culture, in our government, uh, but here's what you should imagine. Imagine that the Senate and the Supreme Court were one group of leaders. That's pretty much the Sanhedrin. About the same number of people, 70 men. So if you take our Senate and add in the Supreme Court, and they all kind of do each other's jobs. They make law, they rule on law, they, they, they interpret the law of Moses for the people. That's what Nicodemus is part, he is part of the, basically, he is in the highest echelon of leadership in the country. He, he is an elite, okay? Thirdly, Jesus calls him Israel's teacher. It was his sacred responsibility to see that the people knew the law of God, which means that he had to know it backwards and forwards. So when Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher, don't you know this? The implied answer, yeah, you should know this, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus's interest in Jesus had been prompted by the miracles, the signs that he witnessed. He wants to know more. So he sets up this late night interview. I think his approach shows us that he's a cautious but open-minded man. He's ready to receive a new word from God if he's sure that it's genuine. He wants to interview Jesus. Is he the real deal? Nicodemus begins with a compliment and Jesus answers a question. (laughs) Do you notice that? He doesn't really ask a question. He just starts with a compliment and then Jesus answers something. I think Jesus can tell um, that Nicodemus' compliment is not just flattery. I don't know if he's responding to an unspoken question or if he's being proactive to engage Nicodemus on this important issue of being born again. But Jesus can tell this isn't just flattery. This guy's legitimately seeking answers. And so Jesus speaks to the idea, he cuts right to the chase, speaks to the idea of being born again. Well, what does that even mean? Well, let me tell you what it doesn't mean first. Being born again does not mean turning over a new leaf. Being born again does not mean, I'm going back on the diet, right? It doesn't mean, I'm going to give up on the drinking. It doesn't mean, I'm going to start going to the gym again for the umpteenth time. He's not saying here, well, Nicodemus, you just need to you know, re-up on your resolutions. 
It's, it, he's not saying, well, you just got to be more moral, Nicodemus. Ni- you couldn't get more moral than Nicodemus. He's the living embodiment of moral in his culture. This new birth is a radical change that God implements in our lives. It's what God does through the power of the Spirit that's a little bit unpredictable. And you can see that in verse 8. Look at this again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you can't tell where it's coming from. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. This is something that God does. It's unpredictable. You're, you're not always, you can't just pin it down. God is doing this. It's supernatural. And that's even more evident in the Greek text of John's Gospel. The word translated again in verse 3 could be also be translated from above. That word, and it gets used both ways throughout these Gospels. Now, all the modern, well-known translations, with the exception of the Revised Standard Version and the New Revised Standard Version, all translate that word, born again. The, the, The RSV is the only one that translates it from above, with the exception of several lesser known, but a little bit more scholarly oriented translations, and they translate it, born from above. The word was translated both ways in Jesus' time. So it's interesting, Jesus uses this word, and Nicodemus says, how can a man go into his mother's womb and be born again? Which shows maybe he just misunderstood the word. Jesus meant from above, and Nicodemus thought he meant born again. And and so there's this this concept here. This birth from above, which I think is, is actually indicated by the context. Look at this again. Look with me again at this verse. Um, let me turn back to it here. Jesus talks about, he says in verse 3, you must be born again. And then in verse 5, he says you must be born of water and the Spirit. This, this is a birth of the Spirit from above. All right? So it's this idea that, that Jesus, I think, is clarifying for Nicodemus what's, what's, what he means here. This birth from above is a supernatural intervention from God. Right? He brings us to life as newborns in the Spirit. And it radically changes us in our whole worldview. It gets reoriented toward the things of God. This is a supernatural act where God takes the Holy Spirit and and He implants Him in our hearts. And that process is like being born all over again. Why? Because you're born into a, you're given a new name. Revelation says we have a new name. You're, You're born into a new family. Just like being born again. And Nicodemus is having a hard time understanding this. You know, can you blame him? This is like, what? It's totally new information. And his confusion is evident. He says, how can a man be born when he's old? Now, this confusion is not a confusion of ignorance. It's not that he's dumb or unable to understand. It's, It's very possible that what he means here is, how can a man whose life and lifestyle and mindset, which have been fixed by age and habit, change so completely, so radically? How does that happen, Jesus? And Jesus' answer in verse 5 to Nicodemus' second question is a little more direct. The one thing that's crystal clear here is that for Jesus, there's this parallel. You've got kingdom of God, kingdom of God. Born again or born from above, born of water and the Spirit. What Jesus is doing is equating the two things. He's saying that being born again, being born from above, is the same as being born of water and the Spirit. Now Nicodemus is nothing if not a student of the Old Testament. So when Jesus used the phrase, 
water and spirit. Lights are going off in Nicodemus' head because he knows his Old Testament. I've said before, if you, you can't really understand the new unless you understand the old. Have some insight into it. Lights are going off for Nicodemus here, all right? Because when he hears water in the Spirit, the first thing his brain is going to think is Genesis 1 2. You remember? The very, very beginning. Look at this. Genesis chapter 1, verse 2 says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. In the second verse in the Bible, Spirit and water come together, they're mentioned together. Nicodemus probably also would have thought of Isaiah 44, verse 3. Look at this. It says, For I will pour water on the thirsty ground and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. He might have even thought of Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. This is the text that Peter quotes on the, uh, on the day of Pentecost, he says, Afterward, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Now he goes, okay, so here's the deal. When, old, when New Testament people quote the Old Testament, they're not just quoting the verse, they're quoting the context. And five verses earlier, in Joel chapter 2, verse Uh, 23 it says that God has given you autumn rains because he's faithful he sends you abundant showers both autumn and spring rain I Nicodemus would have thought of all of these things they would have been in his mind by using these images water and the spirit Jesus is combining the images of creation and messianic redemption he's pulling them together and he says recreation and messianic redemption find their fulfillment in me Nicodemus You've got to get them through me. And he's having his mind thoroughly blown by Jesus right now. See, until recently, I thought that when Nicodemus says, how can this be, it's because he still doesn't understand. But like Fred Craddock says, to get past the nod of the familiar to the shock of the familiar, you study it a little bit more. And I've changed my mind about what I thought Nicodemus meant. See, what changed my mind was looking at the word translated can in the text. Every single time in this passage that you see the word can or cannot, other forms of the word can, from verse 4 to verse 9, it is translating the, the Greek word that normally gets translated power, might, or ability. It's the, the root of our word dynamite. It's translating the word for power. Every time you see the word can in this, It's translating the word for power or might or ability. What Nicodemus is saying here is, what could possibly have the power to do what you're saying, Jesus? What has the power to cause a person to be born from above, born again, start over, recreated by God? New name, new family. What has the power to do that, Jesus? I'm not sure that Nicodemus' third question is really a question. I think he's excited about the possibility. This guy is a national leader. He's a scholar. He's a good man. He knows what's in the heart of a human being. 
He knows the corruption in his own heart. Anyone who's been in leadership for any time at all knows the corruption in the human heart. And I think he's excited. I think he, like, wait, wait, hang, hang on. We can start over? We can begin again? God can give us a fresh start? Yes. How many of you remember how you felt just before the birth of your first child? Those of you that are parents, grandparents. Remember that? It's kind of a, a weird combination of being very, very nervous and very, very excited. <laughs> it's, it's some of both. And I know it's different if you're a mom or a dad, but the, the feeling, I think, is the same. Very, very nervous, very, very excited, and, and maybe a little afraid. <laughs> and I think that's how Nicodemus felt. Listen, some of you in here might have been putting off giving Jesus your life, or maybe you've held back a piece of it because you don't know what's on the other side of that decision. Maybe the stories you've heard about people whose lives have changed because they gave their life to Jesus are exciting, but a little bit intimidating. You're, you're nervous, but also kind of scared. Listen, Nicodemus didn't know either, but he knew that Jesus was there, laboring with him in that late night Lamaze session. And Jesus is here, and he's laboring with you now as you hear his word. So what are you going to do about it? Well, that's phase two. See, first we have late night Lamaze, now we got a late night delivery. And no, I'm not talking about pizza. Emma and Eden were our late night babies. We went to the hospital for Emma's delivery, our firstborn. I noticed that each member of the staff was very, very gentle. Debbie had had a long hard day first baby see horrible back labor some of you ladies know what that is guys it's bad just believe me it's bad she she it had been awful we got to the point where the only thing that would bring her relief was she would like like curl up in a ball facing forward like kneeling in prayer and I'd take my hands and, and shove them into her hips and my forehead into the small of her back and that's the only thing that would take off the pressure and she would have relief for as long as I could hang on to that weird position it was awful. And we get to the hospital, and, and the nurses there and the doctors, it was late at night, and they were so gentle. Their, their voices were soft. They, they were encouraging with Deb. It was a good thing. It's late at night. Jesus has words of instruction and rebuke for Nicodemus, but these words of rebuke are gentle. In fact, the way the Greek text is structured, Jesus says to Nicodemus, aren't you the teacher of Israel? Isn't this supposed to be your job to tell other people, Nicodemus, about this? Now, we don't know his exact social position. He's an important person. The point is, Jesus felt that Nicodemus should have known better. <laughs> Do you ever feel that way? I hope I'm not alone feeling like that. But there have been so many times in my life that I felt like Jesus was looking down at me going, why don't you just get it yet, Casey? I don't know, Lord. I'm dumb. I... What gives me hope in this text is knowing that this new birth, being born again, is not just a one-time occurrence. Yes, there's, there's a point in time where you give your life to Jesus, yes. But this is a state of existence. As Christians, we live in a constant state of new life. Every day when your feet hit the floor, you're, in a sense, born again with God. Now, there's a one-time event where you give your life to Jesus and you're baptized, but it's an ongoing state. You continually live in that new life. 
Here's the shock of familiarity. We're being born again every day as Jesus renews us and shapes us into his image. In fact, the nature of Jesus' next comment to Nicodemus shows that. He makes this reference to this event in Numbers 21. A time when the people of God had to put their simple faith and trust in God's ability to save them. And then Jesus makes the statement, everyone who believes in him, present tense, has eternal life. He's talking about our ongoing experience of salvation. And then we get to this great passage in John 3, 16 through 17. You know, probably the, if, if anybody knows a Bible verse, they, they probably know that one. Well, that and the one in Matthew that says, judge not lest you be judged. You hear that a bunch. Sorry. Okay, not really. Um, they don't ever read the next verse. Uh, Go home and read it. <laughs> the reason John 3, 16, 17, why is it so popular? It's just a great summary of the good news about Jesus. That's why. It just perfectly encapsulates the, the messianic, redemptive mission of the Lord. But here's, the, here's a question that I think matters. Who said it? Now, you can't tell when it's up on the screen because it, all the text is black. If you've got a paper Bible, mine switches there in verse 16 from red to black. Does anybody, anybody else do that? It switches from red text where it's Jesus talking to black. So did, did Jesus say that to Nicodemus? Or does John write that? Now, ultimately, the Holy Spirit inspired all of it, right? It, the Holy Spirit, it's all inspired. <laughs> but who, who said it? I, honestly, I think it was John. I think the decision of the translators to go back to black text there makes sense, and here's why. Because this is both a summary of the conversation as well as foreshadowing. John tacks on his own theological statement about God's love and the sacrifice he made in giving Jesus on the cross in our place for our sin to the end of this conversation because he's just so excited about it. He can't wait. He just can't wait to get to the good part. We're only in chapter 3 and he, he can't wait. There's a whole lot more story here. Jesus is in the very early days of his ministry. This is probably not long after he's baptized by John in the Jordan. This is, this is early on, and, and he can't wait to get to the good stuff. And so John just kind of, at the end of this conversation, when Jesus is talking about being born again, and Nicodemus says, what in the world has the power to do that? John just can't help himself. He just can't help it. He's like, let me tell you. God sent his only son, the only one there is, utterly unique, to die on the cross in your place for your sin. And because he died for you, you can live in him. That's how. That's how we're born from above, born again. Jesus talks about being lifted up so that men may be saved. <laughs> and John is saying, I just can't let this go. i got to make this mention here. It's, it's a, a summary of the, the conversation, the redemptive mission about Jesus, as well as a little bit of foreshadowing of what's going to happen later in the book. God is going to give you a life that is from above into a new family where you are a beloved son and a cherished daughter of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. In the book, The Grandeur and Misery of Man, there's a conversation between two men as they lay dying in the trenches of World War I. One of the men knew he was dying and said to the other, Listen, Dominique, you've led a bad life, but there are no convictions against me. There's nothing in the books against my name. Take my name. Take my life. I give it to you 
straight off. You, you, you've got no more convictions. Take it. It's there in my pocketbook. Go on, take it, and hand yours over to me so that I can carry all your crimes away. That's what Jesus did for you on the cross. He took all the garbage that belonged to you and crucified it and gave you his righteousness so that you could be born from above, reborn in the Spirit of God. John's spoilery summary of Jesus and Nicodemus' conversation in John 3.16 is a clue about the end of the story. That, it's got so much power, he just couldn't wait to get there. Just this week, I heard a story about a man named Gaylord Campari many years ago. He was a missionary to Zimbabwe. He was there handing out New Testaments handing out these New Testament. And he hit, tried to hand it to a guy who, who was just sitting on the curb. And he says, here, I want you to have this. And, and in, a, in a culture of reciprocity, like you don't take a gift unless you then have a gift to give. And the guy says, I don't want it. And he goes, no, it's, it's a gift. It's free. I don't, need, I don't want anything back from you. He says, I don't want it. And he said, no, I, I just take it. It's, it's completely free. Here, please take this. And, and the guy says, I don't want it. He goes, I just want you to have this book. He goes, you don't understand. I'm, I'm a drug addict and an alcoholic. If you give me that book, all I'm going to do is rip out the pages and use them to roll cigarettes and smoke. <laughs> and, and Mr. Campari thought about it for a second. He said, all right, I'll make you a deal. I'll still give it to you, but you got to read the page before you smoke it. <laughs> I said, fine, takes the book. Two years goes by. True story. Two years later, he's back in Zimbabwe on another mission trip, preaching tour. And, and before the meeting starts, he gets up and says, does anyone have a testimony that they'd like to give? The man at the back stands up, says, you probably don't remember me, but two years ago, you gave me a Bible. And I told you I was going to rip out the pages and smoke them. And I did. I smoked my way through Matthew. And I smoked my way through Mark. And I smoked my way through Luke. And I started into John. And I got to John 3.16. And I just couldn't smoke anymore. Because a light appeared before my eyes. And Jesus spoke to me. And now I follow Jesus. For 2,000 years, God has been taking stillborn people and giving them life in Jesus. Did you get the message today? To possess the life of God, you must be reborn in Him through the Spirit. Nicodemus' question was a good one. What has the power to do this? Jesus' answer was rooted in the Old Testament. It was deeply theological, but basically well, it was pretty simple. He said, Nicodemus, you can only have this through me. <laughs> I want to show you a couple more pictures before we're done. You know what this is? The, the folks, over, folks over here, you might want to look up at that screen if Cinderella blocks your view there. These are two first century Jewish tombs. These two tombs are located in the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. 
which is the traditional site of Jesus' burial, death, burial, and resurrection. Was it actually there? Maybe. These two tombs, according to tradition, we don't, there's no inscription, we don't know for sure, but according to tradition, these are the tombs of Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. This is where they were buried. Now let me show you a map of this church. Those two tombs are way over there on the left, number 12. They're just tucked in that little nook. The part in yellow with the big red circle is the traditional site of Calvary and Jesus' burial and resurrection. See, in, in the ancient world, in the, in the Near East, ancient Near East, if they want to protect something, they build a building over it. They don't put a fence around it. They build a building over it. Here's what this tells me. Nicodemus, according to tradition, at the end of his life, wanted to be buried near the place where Jesus was resurrected. When Nicodemus was out of life, he went to the only one who could give him life. And some of you came in here today and you feel just plumb out of life. You're tired. You're worn out. You're frustrated. I want to tell you, in Jesus, there is life. If you're in Christ, you're in a continual state of being born again. So lean into Jesus. Speak to Him. Speak about Him to others. Maybe you don't have that. Maybe you came in here today and you don't have that resurrection life, that continual experience of being born again, that fresh, clean start. But you can have it in just a moment. We're going to stand and sing together. And if you believe that John 3.16 is true, that Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sins and rose again, you can have life, eternal life, like, like God has life. If you'll put your faith in Him, there'll be people down front as we sing, you come and tell them, I just want to follow John 3.16 and have life in Christ. Maybe you're here this morning as John encouraged us to pray earlier and there's someone that you care about that doesn't have this life and, and, and you want to just have someone pray with you over someone who's not yet a Christian. And I say yet because one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so we just pray that God will do it sooner rather than later. <laughs> and maybe there's somebody on your heart today and our prayer counselors will be down here ready to pray with you for someone who, that you're, you're, maybe you're laboring in prayer for someone right now. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I don't know your need, but God does. And you respond as God leads you. You take it to Him as we sing together this morning.